you turn your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20. And we'll read um, verse 17, first of all, and then we'll go down to verse uh, 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when he had come to them, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And then down to verse 28. Be careful then, give careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God or to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and not Spare the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen, and we know God will bless the reading of his own inspired word. Now, this morning we're continuing our series of studies in the church, and uh, we have been looking at the organization of the church, we looked at the ordinances of the church, we looked at the um, worship of the church, we looked at the various ministries of the church, and now, this morning, we come to look at the offices uh, of the church. Now, this issue is one of the most vitally important issues facing the church today. The health, wealth, and stability of a church very much depends upon its leadership. In the Old Testament, when Israel was at its lowest ebb spiritually, God, through the prophets, repeatedly indicted the leaders of the people of God. In the New Testament, when our Lord Jesus exposed and condemned the hypocrisy of Judaism— He turned to its leaders in Matthew 24 and with scathing words of denunciation pronounced judgment on those blind leaders of the blind. So the issue facing us this morning is crucially important for the spiritual life and the spiritual health of any church, but not least of all the church here in Balamina. Now when it comes to the local church, the New Testament places special emphasis upon the eldership. And it's the eldership that I want to focus on this morning. Now, you remember when we first went into lockdown, we did a little series on Titus, and we did look at uh, the role and qualifications uh, for an elder. But I want to sort of broaden that out this morning, step back, and look at the subject more generally. So, the first thing I want you to notice is the biblical basis for eldership. Now, in our constitution, the uh, Constitution of Balamina Baptist, we recognize two offices, that of elder and deacon. But if someone comes to you and says, why do you only recognize two offices in the church? If you remember this text that I'm about to give you, uh, you'll always have an answer. Philippians 1 verse 1. Remember that text, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So there's your proof text, if a proof text is needed. The New Testament recognizes two offices, that of overseers or elders 
and of deacons. Now, if you're using the authorized version, the authorized version says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now, the reason it says bishops is because James I of the King James Bible insisted that that word be translated as bishop because he said, no bishop, no king. Uh, in the New Testament, there are two words for elder, episkopos, from which we get our English word episcopalian, uh, which is translated as overseer or in the authorized version as bishop, and presbyteros, from which we get our English word presbyterian, which is translated elder. And King James, with the help of the Anglican establishment, wanted to teach that there were in fact three offices in the church, bishop, elder, and deacon. However, the words overseer and uh, elder are used interchangeably in the New Testament. If you look at the passage that we read together in Acts chapter 20, you see in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, when the elders arrive from Ephesus, after Paul gives a little testimony about his, his work, he says to them in verse 28, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see that? It's a very important passage. Paul sends for the elders and he addresses them as overseers, or bishops. It's exactly the same word. In other words, the elders were overseers, and the overseers were elders, or if you prefer, the elders were bishops, and the bishops were elders. Now, I have a sneaky suspicion that the translators of the authorized version didn't want that obvious contradiction of their ecclesiastical system, and so in Acts chapter 20, instead of translating the word as bishop, as they do in other places, they translated it as overseer. Now, I may be wrong in that, but Dean Henry Alford, the Anglican, great Anglican of the 19th century, says, sees it in that way, and he writes, the translators were veiling the basic interpretation and the veil of that, uh, that veil was of their own theological prejudice. You see it again in Titus 1. Paul says, in verse 5, appoint elders in every town. And then in verse 7, he says, an overseer must be. The words are interchangeable. The word elder draws on a Jewish background. In Semitic thought, um, age was associated with wisdom. Elder obviously means old. So it speaks about the dignity of the office. Um, the word overseer comes from a, a Greek background. And it... it um, uh, was to look over, to oversee, and it was used of uh, mu uh, leaders in municipal um, uh, projects or in families even, or in households. They were to superintend, they were to oversee, and that really speaks to us of the function of the office. So elder speaks of the uh, dignity of the office, and overseer speaks of the activity of the office, but it's the same office. So in the New Testament, we have two offices, that of elder and deacon. Now, if that is true, some of you might be saying then, is it necessary and is it scriptural then to have a pastor 
who is fully paid or paid in full to function in that role. Well, turn with me, please, for a moment to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. Do not omit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So in this passage, we're told that all elders rule. They exercise leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. But some rule primarily through a preaching and teaching ministry. So we have two offices in the church, that of elder and deacon, but within the eldership there is a difference, not in terms of authority, but in terms of function. All elders are equal in terms of authority, but elders can have different responsibility. For those who rule well, it is perfectly uh, desirable and biblical to pay them a salary because a labor, quoting the Lord Jesus, deserves his wages. And when uh, uh, you're not to muzzle an ox while it is treading out the corn, quoting the Old Testament law, that when the ox is tethered to the arm that turns the millstone, uh, to grind the corn that the ox, according to Old Testament law, was allowed to eat that corn. And so the Lord Jesus teaches that those who preach the gospel should live off the gospel. So the old, whole concern of the teaching elder is to give himself to preaching and teaching, to study so that the church might receive the best nourishment from the Word of God. Now, every elder, as his basic qualification, must be able to teach. But some of the elders do that publicly, and some do it personally. Some do it one-to-one, -one, and some do it before the whole congregation. Some do it full-time, and some do it part-time. So at the moment, we have seven elders, in this church, Philip, Ken, Roy, David, Terry, Nigel, and me. And all are equal in terms of authority, but not all function in the same way. The basis for eldership. The second thing I want you to notice is the role uh, of elders. Now, when it comes to the role of elders in the New Testament, we have a number of metaphors that are set forth to describe that role. But perhaps the clearest and the most instructive is that of the shepherd. Turn with me just please to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter, as a fellow elder, writes to these elders and tells them to shepherd the flock under their care. And he says, when the chief shepherd appears, he shall reward you. So Jesus is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, as he describes himself in John chapter 10, the great shepherd, as we read in Hebrews 13 and verse 20. So if he is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, then he is the perfect example to us of a shepherd and what a shepherd is supposed to do, that he is the perfect model, the perfect representation, the perfect paradigm of what a true shepherd is. So where do you see the role of the chief shepherd most clearly set forth in the Bible? Well, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the shepherd's psalm. If the chief shepherd shepherds his people in this way, so should the under-shepherd, because he is their model. So what does Psalm 23 tell us about the shepherd and his role among the sheep? Well, first of all, the shepherd feeds the sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. The primary function of the Middle Eastern shepherd was to lead the sheep to places of nourishment and refreshment. In an arid, dry climate, um, that uh, vegetation was sparse and water was scarce, the shepherd actually had to lead his sheep to places of nourishment. It wasn't like us with our 40 shades of green and our 40 annual inches of rainfall where the shepherd could just toss the sheep out into the field. He had to lead them to the places of nourishment. So the shepherd, the elder, has a responsibility to feed and nourish the sheep. That is his primary responsibility. Remember Jesus said in in John 21 to Peter, feed my sheep. And if he is to feed the sheep, he must know the sheep. He must know where the good green pastures are and where the still waters are located. So an elder must know the truth and at some level must be able to lead uh, the sheep to the truth. Paul says in Titus 1 and that he must hold to the trustworthy message as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So you don't appoint a theological dunderhead to the eldership because he has to know the truth. If he has to share the truth with others, he needs to know the truth himself. And he needs to be able to communicate that truth to others. Because the sheep need to be nourished. Malnourished sheep are weak and vulnerable. 
And they need to be strong and healthy. And if they're going to be strong and healthy to withstand the assaults of the enemies, they need to be well fed from the word of God. So he feeds the sheep. Secondly, he leads the sheep. He, he leads to the still waters. Verse 2, he restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness. The elder is called to leadership. He is called to lead. First Timothy 5, that, those verses that we read, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 3, he must manage his own family well. Because if he cannot take care of his own family, how can he take care of God's family? And that word manage is translated by the uh, authorized version as ruleth, superintend. So he, he is appointed to lead the people of God. Now, in that leadership... As we read in 1 Peter 5, he doesn't lord it over the flock. He doesn't domineer the flock. That picture of the Middle Eastern shepherd leading his sheep is so instructive when it comes to eldership. Remember, the Middle Eastern shepherd never drove the sheep. He never cajoled the sheep. He went ahead of the sheep. He called them by name, and they followed him. It was consensual. He, he led the sheep to the green pastures and to the still waters. So it's not a blind obedience that a church member must render to an elder. But they reach the point where they trust the eldership, and they're happy to follow their lead. And he leads them, not into cul-de-sacs, not into sin, not into... Uh, obscurantism. He, he leads them uh, in paths of righteousness, in paths of godliness. His concern for them is that they might be a holy people, a people who are conformed to the will of God. Verse 3, he restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness. That word restore is one of the Old Testament words for repentance. He, he brings me back again. Again, I come into church and my heart is drifted, drifted, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I, I love. But then the Word of God is brought to bear upon my heart and my conscience, and I'm brought back again to the path of obedience through the leadership of the eldership. So he feeds the sheep, he leads the sheep, he cares for the sheep. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, this world is difficult. This world is hard. We are living in a fallen world, in a broken world, and a broken world results in broken hearts. And we can't go through this, uh, this world in a bubble and covered in a Teflon, impervious to the, the pressures and the, the pain that other people have to face. No, we cry too. We grieve too. We break our hearts too. But then the, the shepherd is there 
uh, in those dark valleys, as Calvin translates it, in those gloomy glens, to bring encouragement, to bring strength, to, to uh, give help. He doesn't abandon his sheep. He doesn't withdraw them from his sheep. He doesn't leave them to muddle through on their own at the greatest crisis of their lives. He's there with them. He's available to them. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He has a pastoral heart. His heart breaks over the pain that others have to endure. He is able to enter into their suffering. He is able to stand in their shoes. He is able to feel what they feel. So he leads the sheep. Uh, he, he feeds the sheep. He leads the sheep. He comforts the sheep. He protects the sheep. Those sheep, especially in those uh, dark valleys, are, are vulnerable. And there was a twofold threat as they passed through uh, those dark valleys that a predator might spring out and take them or that they might stumble and fall off uh, a walkway or, or a ledge. But they took comfort from the fact that the shepherd was there and he had a rod in one hand to defend them to when that um, um, wild animal sprang out that he could spring into action and defend them or if they, they fell off the, the walkway and stumbled in those difficult experiences that he could put the crook around their neck and pull them back and, and rescue them. So one of the functions of the eldership is to protect the sheep because sheep are vulnerable. They're defenseless animals. They can't... You remember um, Margaret Thatcher said of the foreign secretary and his name, Douglas Hurd, uh, you know, that when he speaks to you, it's being like, it's, it's like being savaged by a sheep. Well, those sheep don't savage anything. And they're defenseless, but the shepherd's there to protect them. And in that passage that we read in Acts 20, Paul warns the elders, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. And he says, be on your guard. And he says, even of your own number, men will arise to distort the truth and draw disciples away after themselves. Even of your own number, one number, the number of the church, no, the number of the eldership. He's speaking to the eldership. Men will arise to distort the truth. So elders need to be on their guard that they have um, heresy censors that they can spot when somebody's deviating from the truth and even when it's somebody in the church, somebody within the eldership, that they uh, spring into action in order to defend the sheep and to spare the sheep from that uh, attack. So he feeds the sheep, he leads the sheep, he cares for the sheep, he protects the sheep. He's tender with the sheep. As David approaches the end of the psalm, as we were thinking of Last week he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The God who had been with him in the past would be with him in the future. He was confident of that because he was his shepherd and goodness and mercy would follow him wherever and uh, wherever he went and whatever he encountered. Goodness, the idea that God is, is generous and good and kind and incorporates a, a moral goodness, the idea of a moral goodness. It, uh, it incorporates the idea of kindness. And then uh, 
surely goodness and mercy. That's the Hebrew word hesed, which uh, carries, sometimes it's translated as, as, as love, sometimes it's translated as kindness, sometimes it's translated as tenderness, sometimes it's translated uh, as mercy, unfailing love, loving kindness. Uh, Dale Ralph Davies translates it as, as um, um, the lavish, loyal tenderness of Yahweh. It's sticky grace. It's Velcro mercy. It, it, it sticks by people throughout their experiences, even when they stumble and fall. And what, what a picture that is of the, the shepherd's heart. That he's tender. Sometimes elders can be a bit removed, a bit abstract, a bit harsh, and a bit hard. But the, the, the great shepherd is characterized by goodness and tenderness with loyalty. He's full of compassion. When people file up, when people get into trouble, he's not harsh or hard with them, but he's tender and compassionate with them. Remember how Jesus responded in Matthew 9 when he looked on the crowds and saw them as shepherdless sheep. We're told that his heart was moved with compassion. Elders are to be tender and compassionate people. Do you remember uh, that daring use of the feminine that Paul used in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7 when he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother caring for her children. Elders can err to be sure, but if they're going to err, better to err on the side of love. People speak about heavy shepherding or pastoral abuse. Well, those are oxymorons. They're, they're a contradiction of the very calling uh, uh, of an elder, what it means to be a shepherd. Be kind, be gentle, be loving, be forgiving. So then the, the, the good shepherd, he feeds the sheep, he leads the sheep, he cares for the sheep, he protects the sheep, he is tender with the sheep. And then ultimately he brings the sheep into heaven. He brings them safely home. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was John Wesley who said of the early Methodists that our people die well. And the job of, a, a, of an elder, the job of a pastor is to help people die well. To die well. It's been my privilege as a pastor to sit at the bedside of people who have been dying. Well, I've lost count of how many people that actually is, but, but you know, I sat at the bedside of, of, of believers and unbelievers, and, and there's a remarkable difference between the two. Remarkable difference. The believer almost anticipates heaven with joy. Now, sometimes there's pain, and sometimes there's distress, but there's a looking forward to the glory to come. And, and that's the job of a, an elder, to lift um, the believer's eyes off the mundane, the earthly, and the ordinary, and to focus them upon the eternal and the glory that is yet to come. That's what an elder does. So what does an elder do? He feeds the sheep. He leads the sheep. 
He cares for the sheep. He protects the sheep. He's tender with the sheep. And he brings the sheep home to glory. The basis for eldership, the role of eldership. The requirement then, thirdly, uh, of elders. Now, we did look at what it, the qualifications that need to be in place before an elder is appointed. When we looked at um, Titus, um, the New Testament gives very specific qualifications, lays down specific qualities that are to be found in an elder. But this morning, I just want you to notice two basic things. We're going back to basics. An elder must be called and gifted by God, and an elder must be recognized and appointed by a church. That's the basic fundamental requirements. An elder must be called and gifted by God, and an elder must be recognized and appointed by the church. If you turn back to Acts chapter uh, 20, Acts chapter 20, we're told um, there in verse 28, Acts chapter 20 and, uh, and verse 28, Acts chapter 20 and verse uh, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, I notice this, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do you see that? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not the Apostle Paul, not even the church, but the Holy Spirit has made you an overseers. Elders are called and appointed by God. Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1 says, If anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. That there is this inner call, this uh, inner consecration to the eldership. You remember Paul in, Acts, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 says, It was he who gives some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor-teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. The pastor-teacher is a gift of the risen Lord Jesus to his church. So, uh, elders are first and foremost called and appointed by God. The vote of the church doesn't make an elder. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one who calls and gifts a man to be an elder. And it's important that we grasp that. An elder is called and appointed by God. But not only is an elder called and gifted by God, he is recognized and appointed by the church. There's an interesting verse in Acts 14 and verse 23 where we are told that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. And the word appointed is borrowed from the Greek legislative council in Athens, which was used for casting a vote. It literally means to stretch forth your hand. So elders were recognized and appointed by the church. So you have two calls, if you like. You have the inner call um, of, of the Spirit of God to eldership, and you have the outward recognition of that call by the church. And the church has no business appointing someone who God hasn't called or equipped. 
And the elder cannot inflict himself upon the church unless that call is acknowledged and ratified by the church. Now, you see the implications of that. If, if an elder is called and gifted by God, then he will look like an elder, he will function like an elder, he will behave like an elder long before he is appointed as an elder. Does that make sense? So a man will have a pastoral concern, a pastoral heart, a theological understanding. He will have teaching gift, uh, and he will be able to communicate the truth to others. People will gravitate to him for spiritual help, spiritual advice, and spiritual counsel. And when the church sees those gifts in him, they then appoint him by a vote of the church. So when it comes to the appointment of elders, look out look out and see if, uh, see if there are people who are actually functioning like elders before they're appointed. Are they theologically aware? Do they have a pastoral heart and a pastoral concern? Are they able to communicate truth to others? Do they display leadership skills? Because if, it, if it's the Holy Spirit who appoints uh, an elder, then their gifts will make it apparent to the congregation before the vote of the church. I hope that makes sense, and I hope it is helpful. Elders are called and gifted by God, and they are recognized and appointed um, by the church. So at my induction service, the words of the inductions talk about the inward call of God that is recognized and ratified by the outward call of the church. Called by God and appointed by the church. The basis of elders, the role of elders, the requirement in elders. The last thing, very quickly, is what is, should our attitude be to elders? I remember when we were growing up um, as young people in Rosemary Park, the elders took a decision that the young people weren't very happy with. And one of the youth leaders said, like, elders? Who do they think they are? Well, they're elders. They're elders, called by God and appointed by the church. Now, you know as a church we don't believe in papal infallibility, nor do we believe in pa pastoral infallibility. Elders are not perfect. Elders can get it wrong. Elders can make mistakes. However, the Bible does expect that the church honors them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 14. I put it up on the screen there. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Do you see that? Respect them. Esteem them very highly. The NIV says, hold them in the highest regard. Love them because of their work. It's not always easy to love them or esteem them when they admonish you. Or when you don't agree necessarily with everything they do. But you're still to esteem them highly for their work's sake. So what does that look like? Well, it means you'll pray for them. Well, it's vitally important that you pray for the eldership of this church. 
means that you'll encourage them. The work can be hard and, and difficult at times, and sometimes it's hard just to know the right path to take, and you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. But just a little note to encourage them. Tell them that you appreciate them. And it means that you don't talk about them. The Bible is very clear in that. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.19, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Don't entertain it. Don't listen to it. Stop it. So if somebody's complaining to you about the eldership, just cut them off in their tracks and say, unless this is established in two or three witnesses, I, I, I don't want to know. Remember their, their motives. I think that's important. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Listen to these words. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Can I let you into a little secret? There are some people in the church and they're a source of great joy unto the eldership. And there's some people that bring a groan when their name is mentioned. Because they're always complaining and they're always finding fault and nothing is good enough. You need to remember their motives. They keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. One day... As the pastor of this church, I'm going to have to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account, not just for myself, but for you. And that terrifies me. It terrifies me. It is an awesome responsibility to be an elder and to be responsible for the spiritual welfare of 400 people. That's a big, big responsibility. The basis of eldership, the New Testament sanctions and recognizes two offices, that of elder and deacon. The role of elders, they are to shepherd the flock. The requirement in elders, they are called and gifted by God and they are to be recognized and appointed by the church. And our attitude to elders, we should esteem them highly for their work's sake. Amen.